dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So thankful for all of you to join us as you always do. Finding the shows you do through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and now Amazon Music. We're everywhere. Uh, my next guest works as a worked as a data scientist in CPG retail or consumer packaged goods and financial services for eight years before opening her own analytics and statistics consulting business, where she advised small firms on how to utilize their data to design a better product, improve marketing programs, and build more informed business strategies. She now serves at, as a director of analytics at one of the cannabis industry's leading providers of data analytics. You've heard the name Headset on this program, and so I bring with me the Director of Analytics at Headset, Liz Connors. Liz, I'm so glad to have you joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Earlier this summer, it was only a couple months ago, we actually got, uh, you know, I've had the chance to go ahead and either feature uh, the CEO of your company, founder and CEO, Cy Scott. Uh, we actually had him back on earlier during the pandemic, just uh, it was one was it was April or May, and he actually talked to us about an ongoing weekly report to make sense of the impacts to legal cannabis sales. We actually talked to him right before the end of the report, which I think went over eight weeks, examining the changes in consumer trends in adult use cannabis sales across five states, California, Colorado, Nevada, Washington State, and Oregon, and three Canadian provinces, uh, Alberta, British Columbia, and Ontario. So can you share with us some of the findings overall that you and your team learned during that, that particular period? Yeah, for sure. Oh, man, we're calling back to the start of the pandemic. What a <laughs> lifetime ago. What a two lifetime. Let's ago. forget about it. <laughs> um, right? Oh, my gosh. Thanks. Yeah, let me stop my anxiety. Um, no, so, uh, so yeah, we started this report. Um, let's see. It was like mid-March, um, kind of when everything was starting to, to lock down. Coronavirus or COVID was becoming something in our, in our, um, in our daily language. Uh, and so what we did is every week we, we issued a new report to kind of show some of those sales trends. Um, at first, at first, it was day to day was was very different. And so especially as states started to lock down and decide which businesses were and weren't essential about the time that y'all were packing your cabinets with toilet paper, yeah. uh, people yeah. in, in states with adult use cannabis were also packing their stash boxes with cannabis products. Um, so we saw a lot of consumers rush into stores. We saw um, average baskets or the amount you spend when you walk in uh, double. Um, day over day for a while. Um, and then we saw, so that kind of happened through maybe like the end of March. And then we saw sales kind of soften for a bit um, as people really, if you remember the beginning of April, um, a lot of us were really in our homes. That was when we weren't leaving at all. Like even a walk in the park wasn't something many people were doing. Um, so we saw sales soften during that time uh, and then just slowly start rising. Um, and uh, the, the increase became pretty remarkable in, um, I think, April and May um, and continued through the summer. So summer's always great for cannabis. But even throughout the summer, we saw it continue to climb. Um, now, uh, now, through September, October, we're getting back to kind of seasonal levels that we expect. Um, but to me, the way that the data read was there were a lot of people who didn't have a lot to do. 
Um, there aren't a lot of new experiences you can have right now. You can't try a new restaurant. You can't go and listen to a new band live, right? And if cannabis isn't something that's part of your daily life, or maybe, you know, you had it once in college mm-hmm. um, and you live in a state that has that opportunity, I think we saw a lot of people kind of come out and think like, oh, well, this is something new and fun I could do. You know, Tiger King, funny the first time. The second time, you might need an edible um, <laughs> to help exactly. you out there. Um, And I bring up edibles because it wasn't just, it wasn't all categories doing well. So vapor pens got hit pretty hard, especially, especially at the beginning when we were really concerned about lung health Um, and pre-rolls, pre-rolls didn't do very well for a while. When you think about a pre-roll, right? A joint, we pass that around. Uh, One, we can't stand around next to people to pass joints unless you have six feet arms and two, putting something in your mouth that's been in someone else's probably is not going to return for, for quite some time. Right, the lack of uh, really no longer the sharing of of utensils, thing like that. It's changing wholesale sales over over retail contactless Mm -hmm. before, you know, really when you don't have that many stores still that are open for dispensaries to go ahead and consume. And and really, like you said, to go ahead and have the opportunity for people to go to conferences or to trade shows or just to go to the dispensaries to sample and try new products. It's been really tough to kind of get that engagement going. And I can see that now. With Cy in the previous episode, and even before when we talked to him a couple of years back, uh, there's a recent report that you released called Customer Analysis, Understanding Cannabis Consumer Behavior. And to your point, the, re- the report did expand, explore on brand-level analysis of the California vapor pens market. Because we talked about with Cy about the pricing of the vapor pens because of how high the pricing was compared to other states. And just the market and just really how aggressive that market had started because it was the craze. But then obviously with the issues with vapor pens, some of the uh, health issues that got brought into light by the mainstream media, obviously it took a little bit of a toll on some of the markets, right? Then the jewel pens, things like that. So MJ Biz Daily wrote this, quote, A year after the vaping health crisis upended the cannabis industry, marijuana vape companies report that sales have rebounded as consumers grasp the danger of consuming illicit market vaporizers and switching to legal suppliers. Several cannabis vape business executives interviewed for the story said sales have completely rebounded, just like you said. And one supplier actually went on record saying, quote, customers are shifting from illicit suppliers to legal providers as a result of the cost basis is not worth the risk to buy off the street. So California has dealt with that similar issue of vape prints and similar pricing issues where they've always fluctuated. So the report, what can you tell me that the that you're getting from that based on what uh, MJ Biz reported? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's so much in the vapor pen market. It's one of kind of the noisiest places um, to do analysis right now. One, because of, like you said, that vape lung, vape gate. Everything's a gate now. So we have vape gate. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And so uh, so that was, uh, gosh, about a year ago now. And we even saw a lot of states pull, um, pull products. So in Washington state, flavored vapor pens were, were banned for a time. Um, in Massachusetts, they banned all vapes, flavored or non. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So a, a whole lot happened about this time last year. Um, it slowly did rebound. Um, and we saw it climb, especially through uh, like January, February of last year. We did see the market soften a bit again um, with COVID, just as people are concerned about their lung health. Um, but we have, uh, so I'll talk a little bit about the report um, mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And I'll talk about another one that I did that I think is sure. also interesting. I was just trying to call it up um, as you asked that question. That's why I was typing like a maniac. No problem. Um, so yeah, so the report we put out, what we found is that, um, vaping tends to be a bit of a younger person's game. Um, so especially in the millennials, I believe, 
we see, um, and in the Gen Gen Z, so Gen Zers, just for everybody who isn't super hip with the uh, generational lingo from Pew Research, uh, so Gen Z, those those people are about 23 right now, 24, so they're young, um, but they're aging into the market. So every single day, another one has their 21st birthday, and this mm-hmm. this segment grows over time, um, whereas we see the older segments wane um, in size. And so uh, Gen Z in particular, vaping was a, a product that, that um, appealed to them a bit more. We actually have seen them pull back their spend in vaping um, throughout, uh, throughout this year, um, though not, not quite as concerningly as it was like during that whole Vapegate scandal. Um, but I do think, so coming back to that idea of the illicit market and maybe bringing people in, there's really two ways that, that, or I guess three ways that cannabis sales grow, or at least legal cannabis sales grow. One, we attract brand new people into stores that have never been in. Um, uh, so we convert like a whole person into cannabis as a medium. Uh, two, we get the people that are already in stores to just buy more. So substituting out uh, maybe alcohol for cannabis or adding other occasions to consume cannabis. Um, and then three is we convert people from the illicit market into uh, into the legal market. And so one of the reasons that we think this was happening uh, a bit more often during that time um, is because the way that people change their purchase behavior. So in particular in Washington, um, we could look at how people change their purchase behavior because there was that banning of the flavored vapes. Right. Um, and but but uh, non-flavored vapes were still available. Um, so what we found is that people kind of in that upper tier, so people that consume cannabis quite often, they actually didn't really change their purchase behavior at all. Um, we found this middle tier of people that kind of occasionally, um, purchase vapes, but they buy a lot of other things. They're the ones who pulled back their spending. So people that were already in the vapor pen market, um, tended to stay, but we saw more customers move into this. So like it was someone that was maybe purchasing occasionally, right? So they were, they really were hardly ever in stores. We saw more people kind of pull into that segment. Um, and I think that's probably going to continue, not just uh, because of the um, people being concerned about what's in illegal vapes, but because the prices have started to come down quite a bit. They continue yeah. to come down. Um, and that's true in all segments. I think in Canada, the OCS just released that, uh, buying an ounce, I think, on um, online from OCS is now cheaper than buying an ounce um, from a, a non-regulated source. Wow. Yeah. Well, finally making good competition. I mean, they have to go and do that to go and counteract. The other thing I, I got to imagine is in your research, the underlying factors is, I mean, the fact that the coronavirus came into play, the lockdowns that continue to be affecting states like California and New York. And, and just saying, you know, do you see that same reflection here, especially with California, because they continue to put lockdowns and, you know, the governor for wanting a, wanting a, a cannabis market to go and bring in more tax revenue. He's not helping the matter. Yeah, lockdowns are interesting. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about California for sure. So um, so cannabis uh, operators, I believe, were allowed to be open the whole time. There were a, a, a couple of days in there in April when certain cities closed um, closed cannabis operators. But for the most part, they, they were allowed to stay open. Um, also noticed from a couple of the interviews we had, deliveries went up a lot. They did. Yeah, for sure. Deliveries went up a lot. And a lot of states actually enacted emergency delivery laws and emergency curbside laws. So something that before wasn't legal um, today is uh, to keep people out of the stores. You know, you don't want that big, long queue while people are waiting. Um, So that definitely helped. but I think um, I think with all of the lockdowns, what we found is that uh, sales are actually trending up. 
Um, but trips, so the number of times someone comes into the store are pretty flat. Um, they might even actually be down. And it's because uh, people come in less frequently, but they buy more when they're there. Um, and same thing when they order online, uh, they purchase a lot more. Now, whether it's the marketing of being online or just trying to kind of recoup that delivery fee you're probably paying, right? If you're going to pay $10 for a courier to bring it to your house, you may as well throw in some extra stuff so that you don't have to do that very often. Um, but I do think the lockdowns have have led to uh, some of the increase in cannabis usage just because uh, cannabis was uh, is something that is very easily consumed at home. Um, alcohol sales, uh, especially on-premise alcohol sales, are really down because bars and restaurants are, are hardly open. Um, but we didn't really have this on-premise consumption idea for cannabis, except in a handful of markets um, in California. There's a handful of licenses. But for the most part, this is something that generally people were enjoying at home before, and now we're at home more. Um, and so I think that actually has has been what's led to some of the increase in sales throughout the summer. And then also I would imagine the other thing too is because of the fact that delivery sales went up and the bulk amount of product being consumed, that wholesale had to be uh, really the, the consult, the cultivators had to really go more wholesale to retail. So in terms of being on the harvest and being, being able to make sure the shelf life of all that product stayed around, they had to go and change things up. I know there was also problems with the, just the supply chain that also was a disruptive uh, factor as well. Uh, did you see anything of that in your research? Yeah, yeah, no, great intuition there. Um, I think the one that to me stuck out the most is during that time, um, we, and, and it's continued actually, um, I'll take flour, so that's the, mm -hmm. the buds. Um, and so we saw smaller package sizes really lose their market share. So the one gram, two gram packs, yeah. um, eighths became more common and even ounces, ounces actually saw the most unit growth during that time. Mm -hmm. um, and we even saw producers <clears throat> that generally weren't packaging quite that large move into that space. We've since seen it happen with pre-rolls. So pre-rolls are now... Um, Multi-packs of pre-rolls are becoming more and more common. So these are packages that have um, three, four, sometimes even uh, 14 um, joints in them. And we're starting to see a bit more of the smaller joints. So before where you were, you know, closer to the gram or maybe three quarters of a gram, there's a lot of people in the half gram and um, quarter gram now joints with a, a bunch in a, you know, it's, a, it's an eighth of quarters. Got to do go. some math there. That's 28, 28 <laughs> joints, four and eight. You got it right, I'm sure. No need for the calculator, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So I want to go and come back, Liz, and I want to ask you about uh, some comments you made because, you know, there's, you know, of course, you're the expert in bringing all the numbers together and getting all this data together. But there are those that, you know, you would imagine certain businesses that work with headset, the access to the analytics, the access to the numbers and trying to engage them to understand what the numbers mean, interpreting them. I mean, just for us, you know, we look at podcast downloads and streams for Cannabis Radio, and it helps us to go ahead and really determine direction of programming, direction of lineup, the kind of guests we bring on board. We do take a lot of weight to what kind of analytics we get. Same thing must be here. And the idea of dashboarding that you bring up uh, in an article through Thrive Global, I want to go ahead and talk about that coming up after a short break. Again, wonderful conversation with, Liz Connors, Director of Analytics at Headset. Our website is headset.io. Back with uh, more questions with Liz after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
SmartPots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, SmartPots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? SmartPots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million SmartPots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Liz Connors, the director of Analytics at Headset, here on Blunt Business. Uh, Liz, you were interviewed by Thrive Global. I think that's Ariana, Ariana Huffington's uh, publication now, right? So it was about the intelligent use of technology innovation to improve leadership effectiveness at work. They wrote, quote, for productive workplaces and happier employees, leadership is boosted by increased communication, transparency, and alignment on goals. One way to achieve this is through the use of effective dashboards that provide decision makers with relevant information to better manage their business objectives. You told Thrive Global, quote, dashboarding allows consistency where we all talk about the same story. Expand on that point for us. Yeah, for sure. Um so uh, I, I, I very much agree that I think that dashboarding is bringing to light um, how we can use our data and it, it gives us a way to all kind of talk in the same language. Um, and so when you think about a dashboard, let's say that your goal was to um, increase your, your sales, right, uh, as, as a brand. So your goal is to increase your sales. Um, and you're going through, uh, you know, you have all your sales efforts and you look, you sit down with your data and you see, okay, I increased sales by 3% this quarter. Um, what we don't know uh, with just looking at that single number is, is 3% good? Uh, because if all your competitors increase their sales by 10%, that 3% might be a bummer. Uh, however, if all your competitors were flat, that 3% is actually something, um, yeah. it's a very big accomplishment, right? So we should be super proud of that. And I think that uh, just just there, right, even just an increase in your sales, I was already able to pick apart, uh, well, what is good and what is bad? So numbers themselves need context. Um, and we need to think about uh, the ways that we're going to go about achieving these goals. And I think that uh, the first thing we do when we have a goal is sit down and say, what is it? Uh, how will we achieve it? But the next part um, of all those SMART goals that everybody always hears is measurable, right? That M, measurable. Um, and I think the best way to measure these goals is to have a consistent visual or a consistent bit of analysis that you sit down to and you look at time over time so that you can under start to understand its nuances. The other nice thing about dashboards is, uh, usually, um, the one that I'm looking at is the same as the one that you're looking at if we're in a corporation <laughs> together. And so there's not this question of, well, how did you pull your data? I'm sure anybody in a business is used to that, right? Um, Common, uh, common things happen where someone's uh, number of new accounts uh, mm -hmm. doesn't match, uh, you know, sales's number of new accounts doesn't match finance's number of new accounts, right? Um, but those numbers should be the same. And it all comes down to uh, some of the assumptions that we're making in the data, how we're qualifying the data, what is a new account, right? Is it, is it just brand new people or if we got uh, somebody to come back to us, right? Is that new? And so dashboards allow us to sit down, well, we sit down and decide what we think all of those those um, 
those caveats should be and those filters should be. We agree on it as a group and then we all look at it that same way. I can imagine when people hear the word dashboarding, you know, you always think, okay, car dashboard. You think like if you're in an airline, the, 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 <laughs> yeah. all the gates. Dashboard that you professional. Have. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's that song called? Vindicated? Wasn't that one of their big songs? Was something? Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, it's been a long time. Hands down is the one I remember. Yes. Um, but making myself sound old now. Oh. oh <laughs> yeah, it was no, a lot of. It was the lot of, What can you say? It was Yeah, good right? Stuff, a lot right? of high school there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Missed that kind of music. What happened to music with instruments, huh? Let's get back to guitars <laughs> and, uh, and, you know. And drums, like, get back to that. Come on, none of this electronic oh, yeah. 808 stuff. But anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things I think about was when the thing of dashboarding, I can under- understand that maybe some of the CEOs, some of the corporate types, some of the financial guys, the gurus that would look at the information, they just say, well, what do we just need to do to look at the numbers to keep our sales up and keep growing and keep profiting? That's all that matters to them as a profit margin, the, the bottom line. But I guess um, it leads into what I want to ask about next is to let the people understand you know, dashboards, it's really just, you know, look at the full aggregate, the aggregation of everything that encompasses what, you know, the the performance of the products or the, or the business as, as, as a whole. And, you know, I think where some people, just even the corporate sense, I think for the enterprise sector, the understanding of a software as a service, so like the sales forces of the world and trying to understand and really take the numbers and really try to try to generate reports and just not generate reports just to say, okay, here, numbers are going up, but to really understand what the numbers mean. So the article goes on the right, quote, dashboards must allow business stakeholders to become self-sufficient, equipping them with necessary information quickly. However, we know that not everyone is data literate nor excited about data. Like, I'm sorry, Liz, you know, I'm sure (laughs) they can't have the love and admiration of analytics like you do, but uh, therefore, when building dashboards, making insights and data literacy a top-down initiative, providing knowledge necessary to varied audiences easily, the dashboard learning curve is less steep for meeting the large firms with those in research and development, marketing and sales, corporate policy, data processing, and HR departments, expressing more confidence with using new technology products according to Vividata. So helping people engage in the dashboards Talk to me what you do, what you do at Headset because that's exactly what you offer is that kind of software as a service to create the dashboards that can be easily understood and translated and can be decoded pretty easily by who needs to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think kind of coming back to that where you said not everyone will be as passionate about data as you. That right. is so true. Um, and I think, you know, I, I made friends in high school by doing their math homework. Now I make business acquaintances by building their analyses. <laughs> um, so it's just been a, a common theme of my life, but that's not everyone's life. Um, and I think that, uh, one data is very intimidating at first. Um, I always, I always compare it to like an exercise program, right? I want to be the Tony Horton of your data. So I will build the program for you. I'll build the dashboards that you need to look at. I'll tell you when to look at which ones you just need to log in and view those day over day to get an understanding of your data. But I think a lot of people get intimidated by data because they think that they'll need to either be doing their own math or know the right numbers to look at or to visualize. Um, And even if you're someone that loves data, 
something that's just terribly annoying is, you know, going in every day to build your graph and having to reformat your access, right? Every day you got to go in and make sure this is a bar chart or a pie chart. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that having uh, using headset or using a software as a service provider that does do your dashboarding for you um, is great at is we know, we know what data points are important. We know the best way to visualize them. It's actually something that um, I study professionally. So I help, um, I work with, uh, um, business researchers at uh, University of Pittsburgh. I want to talk about that. I'm going to bring that up after the break. But oh, my sure, thing yeah. too is that um, the idea is that it can to make it meaningful, make it pliable. But I guess also oh, yeah. uh, when I look at this, you know, I say to myself, um, it's also just being able to train the right people to understand what they're doing. Because also the mm -hmm. same way you might call it an exercise program, I call it scientific it's like somebody working on research and data and saying okay here you go bunsen burner put on the lab jacket and it's a little over the head so you have to go and be able to make it so it's just it's much more lame and much more um you know it's relatable oh for sure yeah and that's and that's actually one of the ways that we develop a lot of our dashboards so we kind of start with these overview ones that are much simpler and just sort of when you're getting an idea of a market in general yeah. and then we dive deeper and deeper where we're getting really detailed right and you're doing maybe on your top dashboard you just want to understand are vapor pen prices going up or down but maybe then what you want to know is are the prices going up because package sizes are getting bigger mm -hmm. or are they going up because the same amount of, of um, oil uh, is actually costing more day to day, right? And then from there, you want to know, well, I see, you know, the average is going down. Does that mean everybody's going down or only some companies are going down? Or does it mean new like value price products entered the market and drove down the average price, but the premium players still exist, right? right. And so we just keep, we kind of do that, that story of six whys um, as we do analysis, but really starting at the top is the only way you'll ever be able to, to drill down like that. Exactly. Love the way you put that together. And I can see that we're working uh, with the team of headset. You, I feel like you do really good at, at really kind of explaining everything. And I really, what you've explained so far has been wonderful. I, I love the insight you're bringing into this. And I didn't want to sell short your work uh, outside, where you, as you were mentioning, working with researchers at University of Pittsburgh and London Business School. But you know what? I wanted to tease the audience and let everybody oh, sit sure. around for commercial breaks <laughs> so they can hear all about that. So I'm here with the amazing Liz Connors, Director of Analytics at Headset. Again, the website is headset.io. Back with final questions with Liz after a short break. Stay with us, folks. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with final questions with Liz Connors, Director of Analytics at Headset. So I know I didn't get to talk about you, Liz. I'm sure there's so much we can go and talk about. But again, I really appreciate you taking time out. I'm great, grateful that the folks at Headset recommend to have you on the program with us. And, you know, I never make it a point to go and talk too much about the personal, oh, let's get to know your personal background. But really what you're doing, you know, outside of Headset, that you're still doing as, as in your work in data research, 
This is fascinating. So you work with researchers at the University of Pittsburgh and the London Business School conducting experimental research on heuristics. H-E-U-R-I-S-T-I-C-S. I didn't know anything about heuristics before you came on, but I had to go and read about it. And biases that impede business decision makers from optimally using data to drive decisions. Great concept here. So by definition for our audience, a heuristic is a mental shortcut that allows people to solve problems and make judgments quickly and efficiently. Heuristics are helpful in many situations, but they can also lead to cognitive biases. Help me wrap around this concept and what kind of research you're involved with when it comes to heuristics and biases. Yeah, sure. I'll talk about I'll talk about um, one of them that we're we're doing research on, um, and it is on uh, um, it is on a principle that, that's sometimes called the ostrich effect. So you know how ostriches get yeah. scared and dig their head into the sand, right? <laughs> um, so uh, what what cognitive researchers have found is that uh, people do the same thing with bad information. And so a prior study that was done uh, looked at 401ks um, during, uh, during the recession, so during the 2008-2009 financial recession, and they found that people logged into their 401k less often to see it because they were anticipating bad information. So they don't want to log in. They don't want to see that their portfolios are down, right? So they put their head in the sand and they think, I'm not going to use data because the data is bad. It's the same thing that maybe makes us not want to step on the scale after Christmas. Thank you. Um, right? Oh, <laughs> you you yeah, just hit a button. <laughs> yeah, we're like, I'm going to do something about it first before I step on. So the same thing exists with data. Um, so that was for individuals. And what we were curious about is do business owners do the same thing? So if, for instance, there is um, a bad day, so you could take, um, like if we're talking about cannabis operators, you could take like the closures that happened, right? Or during COVID, like especially in uh, places like Nevada that rely on tourism, right? Yep. Sales numbers are gonna be down. So do people, do businesses, um, do, uh, do businesses during times like that use their data or not? Um, and the same is also true. People tend to like data that makes them feel good. So, for instance, if you were selling toilet paper during COVID, you were probably really looking at your numbers, right? Um, because, man, every day those numbers looked great. Oh, yeah. uh, hand sanitizer, every day those numbers looked great. Oh, the cleaning companies, selling... like Clorox and Lysol, you can't keep it on the shelves right now. Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah. But if you were selling kegs of beer to restaurants, you might not want to know that information. And so that's one of the things we were researching was do people, um, do people that need that information to make their business decisions, right? Like when times are bad, you might need information even more. So if we take like a, an operator, let's say a cannabis operator and sales are down 40%, but you haven't logged in, you know, they're down. You just don't know how much, if they're down that much, you might want to reduce your staffing, right? You might want to um, think about what products you're really going to reorder, right? So that you can kind of keep some of that cash flow going. Um, so this is a time when data is very important. Um, and we, we weren't specifically researching around COVID. The research paper has been done for um, quite some time and is out for comments. But um, sort of using those times, that's what we were looking at. What we found is if negative information um, if negative information is there, people, people, even for businesses, are less likely to be looking at it. There's a couple of examples that I can think of about that when it comes to, you know, the stock market. If there's any kind of bad news that comes across, oh, we don't want to look at our portfolio. Oh, brokerage, yeah. don't I don't want to hear from the broker. Tell them I'm on at lunch, something like that. Plus, I'll, and I'm gonna, and I'm sorry, I gotta do this because 
I thought I'm, I'm a media I'm a media watchdog. I do not like the mainstream media scaring people during COVID because yeah. And what happens? They're not even engaging with mainstream media now. They don't want to watch the cable or network news now. Just like yeah. no, turn it off. Let's, we'll watch Netflix. Seriously, it's the same yeah. kind of. I feel like it's the same kind of thing. Am I right? It can, yeah. I think sometimes that goes to too, um, like when we think about how much information we get from the media and whether we <clears> can trust this source or that source. Um, when you think even about media, they have their own biases, right? We can compare Absolutely. someone like Fox News to someone like Huffington Post, right? Very different, very different biases. Um, and so what happens is we we see information that we know has bias in it. We don't know what information we can trust. And so we, we disengage with that information. And I think to like tie a nice neat bow onto stuff, that's one of the reasons in businesses, uh, I really like dashboards that are owned by a central source is because you will have, you know, your sales department wanting to show numbers are, are, are up and they're doing great. And your finance department is the one putting the pennies in the piggy bank. And they say, well, it doesn't seem as great as sales. And so we have two different sets of biased information two different people with two different agendas providing us stuff. And that is one of the places that dashboards can help us um, have a single source of truth where we know we can log in, we can trust this information. We don't have to run deflators or inflators. We don't have to think about it. We know it's been defined and it will always stay that way because we told the robots to do it that way and robots super obedient. And the most important thing I think you would think because of the, there's a lot of retailers and a lot of companies that you work with a headset is the C-level executives that you work with and how important it is to be able to go and help them have the understanding. But more or less, you know, they don't, some of the best business people don't have that ostrich effect. They're not going to go ahead and put their head in the sand. They, they will, they say, okay, this is, this is a battle we got to take on. We just can't go ahead and, you know, we can't retreat. We have to keep burrowing forward. We're going to make it through this tough time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, in every average, uh, there are people that are, you know, um, def definitely engaged in that behavior and then those that definitely don't. And I think the big thing to know there is the people that don't do have that crucial bit of information that will help them pivot faster. And so um, I think that, that that's one of the reasons that any cognitive researcher, whether it's in business or whether it's just in cognitive psych, does research, especially in heuristics and biases, is sometimes just being aware of our biases can help us um, help us make better decisions for that. So even though I don't, I don't want to log in, I know sales are bad, even though I don't want to step on that scale and learn what my mom's cookies did to me, uh, having that information can tell me what I need to do next. And so no matter how much we don't want it, um, you know, it's, it's like everything in life. You gotta, you gotta do the things sometimes that are tough so that you can have the good outcomes. Exactly. You know, Liz, this has been a wonderful conversation. I hope I hope we get back on the conference circuit again. I hope I can get to oh, see I you know. and others out on the on the show floor because I would love to go and keep talking to you about this. And <laughs> I've enjoyed the conversation. I love would love to go and keep the door open to go and uh, you know, see if there's any comes anything else comes across in terms of data or research that you can tell us about that would be worth talking about. Let's go ahead and, you know, keep the door open to have you back. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, this has been so fun. A half hour just talking about data with interesting people is one of my favorite things. Thank and now you. it's just about cannabis data. I used to have to talk about boring stuff. Now I can talk <laughs> about joints and edibles. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we go and wrap things up, please tell our listeners, uh, obviously the website is headset.io. Uh, is there any particular reports you want to have people point out to that they should be looking at that would be really uh, good factual information for them to go ahead and take a look at that, especially yeah. this current time? 
Yeah, for sure. So if you sign up for our mailing list, we do research reports about once a month. So the one that um, uh, that you had referenced about vapor pens um, and consumer behavior is quite interesting. We just launched coverage in Massachusetts and Michigan, um, which is which is nice. great. Um, and then on our website, we have two things that are free. If you're a retailer, we have free tools for you to use your own data. So BYO data, um, you just plug it in and all of our dashboards work and help you better understand your information. Um, you can find out about that on our website. And then um, if you are just anyone in the cannabis space or just interested about cannabis, we have a product called Insights Pulse that is also free that you can sign up for and see things like um, general pricing trends, uh, how much sales there are in various markets, um, what the category splits are, all those kind of high level bits of information. And then when you want to dig down deeper, that's where we have our, our paid products where you can really get in and do um, that more sophisticated analysis to decide, you know, how should you price? What should you make? Who should you, what types of consumers should you go after? All those, all those really critical questions. Just for the, just for the credit of the audience, this is the third time we've had headset on blunt business. There's a reason why they come on the show because they got really good information <laughs> out there. So, and uh, people like you, Liz, you know, it really, it's wonderful information that you provide to us. And this is the kind of stuff we want to bring to our listeners. So I'm glad that we get bring headset on. I'm, I'm like I said, Thank you so much for being on with us. It really was really an interesting experience. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was super fun. I'm glad. I really enjoyed having you on. And listeners, thank you again for always listening and always learning all the numbers and facts and data. The numbers you can really help out with is the rate and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. I talk about this over and over. Please go ahead and rate and review the show. Give us five stars. That's a great number to put in your data. So put that up there so I can see it on my dashboard for, for podcast <laughs> analytics so we can get the numbers up. I know the show does great, but it's because of you doing that. So make sure to go ahead and subscribe to the show. Share with whomever, however you like. And again, we'll talk to you with another edition of Blunt Business. Until next week. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.